0: Okay, Miles, it is episode number four of the podcast. You know, there's a lot of people out there that said we'd never make it to episode number four. We The list of haters um, is manifold, and yet here we are. We stand victorious four episodes in. How are you, my friend?
1: Tristan? it's great to be with you, and um, I look forward to to calling out those haters who said we couldn't get to five. It's amazing how many haters we have, but it is good to be here. It is good to
0: get to four. Um, and yeah, they keep popping up. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just our, our, our cross to bear. Um, Miles, we have another very fun episode this week because the Seahawks won. It's not very fun to do this. We haven't had to do a lot of losses by my count, only one so far. Um, and I, I, I'm curious to see what our vibe will be the next time we have to face a loss, but I hope we never have to, I hope for the life of this podcast, it's just joyous, um, singing of the, you know, praising the way of Pete Carroll. Um, but you know, quick recap, I I guess, I don't know if anyone needs that. Everyone knows what happened. The Seahawks won 24 to three going into, do they still call it the Meadowlands? Is that still or do we have to just say MetLife Stadium because everything has to be branded?
1: It's a great question. You know, as such a West Coast guy, I can't imagine a meadow being anywhere near there. So I've always been confused by that. But that's 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 my mistake. That's my being uncultured
0: J- just to make sure that we're, um, you know, pleasing all the sponsors nationally, um, as this is an NFL affiliated podcast in no way. Um Uh, The Meadowlands brought to you by MetLife Insurance. Do you have insurance needs? Um, They have insurance for you, MetLife. I I think that's the, I mean, we don't have an ad read, but if we did, I think that's pretty close to what they would want us to do.
1: Well, what the listeners might not know is we did have an ad read, but we actually paid MetLife to read that ad. I don't know if that's how it normally works for podcasts, but that's how we did it.
0: Yeah. And it's it's cool that they accepted. Um I thought that was kind of neat. So um Or they're okay. going to accept. We haven't
1: heard back just
0: yet, <laughs> but we anticipate they will accept that. <laughs> what why wouldn't you? Um so we got a victory twenty-four to three. Um, do you wanna get us started? What what's your first thought of the game?
1: Yeah, speaking of being a west coaster and watching things happen in New York City or the Meadowlands or technically New Jersey, I suppose. Um, it was very obvious watching this game. To me, I thought this was a game where two I thought the cultures won this game. i've I've read football outsiders for years. i've I've written about analytics on the internet before. I really thought this was two cultures clashed against one another, and the positive one won. It was it just felt like everybody except for the Seahawks in that stadium was trapped with one another. The coach, hated the quarterback. The quarterback hated that he couldn't do anything without getting sacked. The fans hated the coach. The fans hated the team. Everybody everybody not in the Seahawks uniform felt at war with one another. And there was a, a moment in the game where the Seahawks were getting pulled into it with some the, the Giants were trying to pull them down into this neg- negativity, some extracurricular things. It ended up not really mattering. There was a moment where the Hawks almost got pulled down into that spiral of negativity. They didn't do it. It must feel like a long season in New York. These guys are back in, they were back in the building together all day today. That's got to be a long season. Um, and I thought there were actually a lot of crucial moments, like in the game, where the, the positive culture of the Seahawks came through, and just the very negative culture of the Giants led to some pretty poor results on the field
0: you don't think it's a good thing when um when a head coach just throws an ipad or i'm sorry a microsoft surface we need to keep the sponsors happy a microsoft surface at his at his quarterback you think that's bad optics it just
1: this might be a controversial opinion i thought daniel jones played a really good game i re, i really did and i know there was there's been some criticism of him from uh a lot of film-minded people who say, okay, Daniel Jones, he locks into his first read. If it's not there, he just tucks and runs. So all you have to do is take away the first read and you're taking away the passing game. It's like, well, yeah, he got he got sacked about a quarter of the time he dropped back. I, if I were him, I would also, if the first, if the first read's not there, I'm also going to start... If I have the wheels like he does, he, he did some serious damage as a runner. If I have the wheels like he does, I'm going to try to get out of there as well before I get sacked. I thought... There were just so many factors i felt bad for him i felt bad for him i thought he actually played a a pretty good game uh even though uh, he made two he made two he made some really big mistakes but for the most part i thought he held it together there was nobody on his side you know even on his own team
0: no i mean to your point i mean you know his running backs i think combined for 46 yards um on all of their carries he had 66 yards you, you, I mean, what was he supposed to do? He was getting annihilated back there. It was as a Seahawks fan, super fun to watch. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the the poor guy was really getting destroyed. I think you, I think it's a good point. He, um, for what he was dealing with that day, he he actually played a, a pretty doggone good game, and, and he tried to keep him in it. Um, but I couldn't agree with you more. The the dysfunction that you could sense watching that game. Um, and, and just the, the overall, I mean, it was a flag fest. There was constantly penalties happening. Um, a lot of chippiness going back and forth against two teams that don't have any massive history together. I mean, we played the giants plenty, but I don't think there's any like, you know, 49ers ish, you know, bad blood or anything like that. Uh, Taylor Swift reference there to the black, bad blood, um, it's, but it, it's crazy. It, it was weird to see that. And to your point, the, the opposite being true, it, it was kind of a positive versus negative vibe game. And um, I think it's a really good point, though. It's easy to get pulled into that. You know, it's easy to get pulled into fights or to get pulled into um, getting into that negativity. And that could have changed the game and the complexion of it. So, no, I I, I love that, man. I, I think it's a really interesting Um, Interesting point. Admittedly, I had not thought about, hey, you know, did Daniel Jones actually have a pretty good game given what he was dealing with? And I mean, he was the running attack. I'll say that. I mean, he he basically was the entire running game for him Um, really quickly to that point. Their top two running backs averaged two point one and two point three yards a carry. Um, I haven't been watching football very long, but I don't think that's very good. Um, Daniel Jones six point six and a long of seventeen. I mean, he by far had the long of the game on the on the ground for the Giants. Not the way you want it, but um, yeah. I mean, he's obviously a great athlete.
1: Yeah, there were a few of those. It's just devastating to see him go. He, I mean, who else? Who on the Giants could you say played a good game? You know, and they were hmm. they were in it pretty late, even though the, the score got out of hand, they, they were driving down only 14 to three in the second half. And if he had a, f- a few guys on <laughs> able to help him out, you know, the Giants really could have made this a ball game. It, it only blew out pretty late in the second half.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say Matt Burrito was, I mean, the second best player on the field. I mean, he had a few yeah. nice moments, but yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. Who else could you point to on that team that had a good game? That's, that's pretty rough.
1: Yeah, I so I I don't know if I haven't watched Daniel Jones that closely, but you know, and and yes, did he was it his fault on the pick six? Was it his fault on the fumble? Yes. Those are two huge plays, but I do think it it seems like if he thrives somewhere else after getting the proverbial change of scenery, I I won't be surprised. He did a lot and it his pass completion percentage was super high. Yeah. I thought thought he played a really good game.
0: Yeah. And you could see him getting in a different spot where, uh, you know, a different culture can make a difference. You know, I think the Seahawks have a quarterback like that. I I can't remember. It seems like maybe they have a guy that was dealing with some bad New York culture and was able to have a resurgent career when he got to the right spot, which makes you think about all the time In, in business, in life, in sports. How often is it just the people you're surrounded by and how much? does that dictate your own success and i mean yeah it's i don't envy the the young man over there um i'll i'll give you my my first takeaway and man i i can't help myself i just got to talk about the defense and how hard they were hitting um going into the game the thing that i thought was most interesting was the idea are we and i think we talked about this at the end of of last week are we about to see a new dynasty of of this the secondary of the Seahawks. These two young, you know, quote-unquote lockdown cornerbacks, what will it actually look like and then throw Jamal Adams in there? You know, what what is this going to look like? Obviously and you know, hope, you know, sin- sincerely hope Jamal is is going to be fine and and you know, more importantly Nathan is his brain and you know that that he recovers properly and all that. Um it, it's interesting though watching even just what the first 5 minutes that he was in the game you could feel Jamal. I mean, you really could instantly feel his presence and, you know, a couple of those big hits. I mean, he, he, he was probably the only reason he didn't get a sack was just probably rust of just, you know, it was his first time back there. Like, how'd I get here so fast? Like I'm, I'm just standing next to the quarterback. I, maybe he was a little shocked. Um, can you imagine the game he would have had? I mean, if he didn't get that concussion Jamal Adams might've had five or six sacks in that game. I mean, it's kind of hard to even comprehend. I'm sure, I'm sure he's beyond frustrated at that thought, like (laughs) the, the sacks he could have had, but watching him. It's one of the few times actually in sports, I can say that something turned out exactly the way I hoped it would in that watching Jamal back, he was hitting the way that you want him to hit. He was, he was on this part of the field, um, you know, close to the line of scrimmage, affecting things in the backfield the way I was hoping it would look with Jamal in this. And then to see Witherspoon doing the exact same thing. I mean, will I'm sure we'll talk about the interception. We'll talk about some of the sacks. But my goodness, some of the hits that Witherspoon was putting on, to me, it might be the biggest takeaway that like these two dudes were playing in the backfield all day. And hitting and hitting hard. And it, obviously not just them. I mean, there, there are so many good um, I mean, players that we can point to on the defensive side and say they they killed it. They did a great job. Man, there's something about watching Jamal and Spoon on the field together. They seem different than everybody else.
1: You're you're completely right, and what's amazing about that is Jamal. It was what seven, eight, nine snaps. Like yeah. he, it didn't take very long, and, and everything you're saying is exactly right. Um, it was a devastating moment to see him come out of the game. You understand that he's frustrated. Uh, yeah, for a moment, I was like, "Is this the end of of his career?" It looks like it's actually going to be a relatively short uh, recovery period for Adams. But you're right; just a, a few snaps in there, and you, you felt the impact. Yeah, that doesn't happen with every defensive player.
0: It's easy to forget because he's been gone for so long. You know what? Three-time All-Pro. What an absolute um, just havoc wreak, wrecker wreaker. How would you say that? He wreaks havoc. Um, you know, he's he is a walking mismatch and, and a problem for any offense. So watching him out there was incredible. <clears throat> and I mean, I think the real obvious funny thing is, And you know we have been talking about this since week one. We'll keep watching Jalen Carter and wondering, okay, yeah, I mean, you really passed up on on a great player, and Jalen continues to play really, really well. And then Spoon has a game like this, and you're like, oh, interesting. Like this, this seems like, yeah, that number five pick, that maybe that was a good decision. I, it's it's incredible to think that Jalen Carter and Spoon could both end up being. I mean, all pros at their position. And I mean, so far, we're only four weeks in, but so far, they're both showing no no reason to not believe that they're on a path for all pro type status, which is pretty crazy. I mean, one of those, like, you couldn't have gone wrong, basically.
1: You're right. I'm not, I guess the reason I'm not that concerned about the comparisons with Jalen Carter is, and I wonder what you think about this. It feels like with Witherspoon, the Seahawks got the Seahawks. Like they got the guy who fits the Seahawks temperamentally, personality wise, playing style wise. So I'm sure Jalen Carter is going to have a great career, but I guess I'm not too concerned about that comparison because it's like, yeah, it feels like they got the the guy who was supposed to be the Seahawk
0: in Witherspoon. No, I I agree. And I mean, and again, not to belabor the point, but you see why Adams you see why they traded for him for, I think the exact same reason, the temperament, the um kind of that dog mentality. And you see that with spoon, you see that with Adams um and you see that with other guys on the team too, but it is different with those two. So anyway, it was, I mean, as obvious as you can get um, just watching those two, that, that, that hitting mentality um is back on the team. And I mean, it's, it's enjoyable. It's the most, the the most fun I've ever had as a Seahawks fan was either watching Marshawn, uh, you know, trample over dudes or watching Cam Chancellor, you know, just just absolutely destroy humans and their souls. And it, you get that vibe from both of them that they have that level of like, I just I don't want to just be out here. I want to hit you um, and I want to I want to break your will, which I mean. I guess that's something that we love about football. It's unique about football. Not many sports have that kind of break your will side to it. Um, basketball does, I guess, when someone just is on such a heater that, hey, there's no way we're going to beat this guy because everything's going in. Um, but there's not many sports where, besides boxing, I guess, where you're really, I mean, mano a mano and 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 you can hit someone and make them not want to play anymore. Um, and you get that sense from both of them. So. Um, do you have a, a, a Belichickian moment for us this week?
1: Absolutely. To me, I kind of, watching this game, because the Seahawks, despite winning 24-3, to despite setting a, a top 10 mark all time for sacks in a game, let me know what you think about this. I feel like a football game, I feel like every football game is like the Amazon River, where it's like, it starts from the same place, and there's these little forks in the road, and it's like, Okay, we went to so many forks that we we ended up in this region where it was a Seahawks blowout. But I feel like there's from the same start of the river, you can also end up in a, a lot of different regions that ended up in a Seahawks loss for this one. So, I I thought the biggest fork in the road came very early in the game. Jamal Adams, it's what we've been talking about, Daniel Jones running, Jamal Adams tackles, uh, he goes low with his with his helmet and gets that concussion. Um, on the incidental play from Jones and he goes out that leaves it third and three and the giants are pretty close to the red zone. I felt shook in that moment. I'm going, Hey, we just had the 380, whatever days since Adams, you know, and here he goes out after just a couple snaps, I was shaken up. I thought the defense did a great job led by Bobby Wagner of, you got to stick in there. You know, you you can't care about Jamal Adams as one of his, you know, co, uh, you know, coworkers on defense. Coworkers isn't the right word. But it was on third and three, the Giants ran the ball. Bobby Wagner gets in the backfield really quickly, and Jordan Brooks cleans it up, and that brings it to fourth and one. And here, I think the Giants lost the game on this play, fourth and one. This is when they tried to go. They brought the two big offensive linemen in to shove Daniel Jones from behind and push him forward. It didn't work. Wagner and Brooks got in there again, but then the, the Giants, two guys got injured on the play on the Giants. So I looked back at it really closely. One of them was the, their second string tight end. That seemed like an accidental thing on the side, they, it's, it didn't even seem like he was, he was kind of to the side of the play. It didn't seem like that was that much contact. That's a tough break for the Giants. But the second guy who got injured for the Giants was their center. So this this poor guy, I mean, the Giants basically dialed up an in injury for this guy. So he snaps it. He's got two Seahawks on one on each shoulder of his. So they're pushing one way, and then he's got four of his teammates: Jones, the two offensive linemen, extra offensive lineman in the backfield, and Brita. Four guys pushing on him. So he's got two, he's getting like pushed up and to get, like, completely sandwiched, and he's out. And, okay, the Giants center gets injured. big. Wh- but then the Giants offensive line, that, that ends up giving up the 11 sacks as, as the game goes on, and that offensive line got more and more demoralized as the game goes on. And you have to say the Giants kind of did that to themselves by dialing up this play that, like, it, 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 it was almost a guaranteed injury. And then what was really weird on ESPN this morning, there was a story about it. This this play got on the front page of ESPN. And Brian Dayball said, or he was basically saying that they didn't take live reps of this play in practice. They just did it on a walkthrough. And I, kinda, I was like, Isn't, I don't know what else you're practicing other than this. Like, this is just such a bizarre play. You know it's going to come in a crucial moment because this is a play four, fourth, and one. I just have no idea how you don't practice this play and then you look at it and it's like yeah it's basically designed to get one of your guys injured up front and um so even though the the Seahawks didn't really respond on the drive after getting that the ball back i thought that just started the dom- that was like the first domino that got things rolling and the giants really could have avoided it daniel jones is so good at running why not call a pass play and just have a you know you could totally see him tucking and running and, and having the wheels to to get that first down on fourth and one, you know, but instead they they kind of drew up their own disaster there and it led to one of the all-time sack performances in, in football history.
0: I mean, it's it's crazy to um to think about the depth of of an o line and how much you can sustain right i mean how how much can you take before you start declining in performance um and, and it is a great point because the center quarterback relationship is so important and obviously the fastest way to a quarterback is is right up the middle where a lot of pressure was coming from the hawks um and yeah i mean you think about 11 sacks and how you get there, you know, what is the anatomy of an 11-sat game? What are the things that have to go wrong? You know, you go into the game, your starting left tackle isn't playing. Okay, check. Um, you go into the game, your starting running back isn't playing. Okay, so maybe our running attack isn't going to be quite as dynamic. Okay, check. And then you start doing things like that, putting other people in harm's way, potentially. Um I mean, I, I had not heard that, that they had not practiced that, you know, in in, in any kind of a legit way. It, it, that's crazy. I mean, the idea that you would go for something, it, you are only going to do this on fourth down, which means it's going to be a critical play for you. I'm not very good when I don't practice things. Like, I, I have to speak a bit for my job, and uh, if I don't practice my presentations, like, beforehand... Uh, it's pretty rough and I'm pretty, you know, it's just not any good. If, if we don't, you know, kind of have a, a run sheet for this show, if we don't think about what we want to say, it it is not nearly as good. So the idea that a, that a coach for a professional football team would say, oh, yeah, the, you know, the super critical fourth down play that we uh, put in. Yeah, we didn't really practice it. I mean, like, you know, we did a we did a walkthrough. What is the point of doing that play on a walkthrough basis? I mean, if you think about it, the whole play is about like compression and pushing and like strength and all of that, like, like, I mean, you sure? Yeah. You did a walkthrough of it. Great, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. I bet I look pretty good on the walkthrough. I do know you're dedicated to practice. That's why we practice each podcast five
0: or six times all yep. the way
1: through before we actually hit record. It's a demanding schedule, but I, I think it's worth it in, in the final product.
0: Yeah. and no, We've already been talking for seven hours today. Um, and it, it, but it doesn't feel like it miles. It feels like this is, you know, we're only 23 minutes in is what it actually feels like. But, um, uh, no, that it's, it's a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting point. And I mean, I'll, I'll transition that a little bit to, to our offensive line that did an, an unbelievable job. I mean, it's crazy to think about Gino was sacked twice. Um, and not pressured that much. You know, he did a good job of moving around and I think protecting the O-line. But the fact that we had an offensive line that um every single guy that was playing was either not playing in his correct position or he was just a pure backup. I mean, at one point the center, Evan Brown, was moved over to guard, right? We they brought in Olu to be the you know the backup center, comes in. And you now have a completely makeshift offensive line full of second stringers. And I mean, it it is worth saying that they have a pretty good D-line in New York. I mean, that's a, um, a pretty strong stout group, one of the better ones in the league. The fact that they were able to hold up, it's one thing that has hit me a bit watching this team compared to others. And I think the last two draft classes bear it out. It's the depth that um, the Seahawks team has. This team is is so much deeper than a couple of years ago. And I think we're seeing the, the the inverse of that with the Giants, where they obviously did not have the depth to be able to withstand these injuries. And I mean, the depth we're talking about for the Seahawks O-line is unimaginable. I mean, it's it, you would not expect five guys playing out of position second stringers etc to be able to um perform at this level and the fact that we we lost our two starting left tackles a couple of games ago and it hasn't really felt that big of a difference that that you know Jake and, and stone have come in and just done a great job it's unreal man and I, i'll I'll say this. Bradford, the right guard, he's turning into one of my favorite guys to watch. I mean, he's an absolute load Um, and watching him kind of just maul dudes. Now that said, his first play when he came in, he was a holding call. So, (laughs) you know, it wasn't a great start, but um, he's turned into one of my favorite players.
1: It's so funny that that's the case this year when there were uh, so many years in somewhat recent history where issues with the first string offensive line really kind derailed the whole. Absolutely. I wonder, I wonder what, what changed inside or if they, yeah, had some sort of, not that they would ever really talk about it, I think, in, in detail, but I wonder if there's some sort of process that they changed or, yeah, it's, you know, it's a
0: pretty big turnaround. I really do think it's just this all this draft capital that they've had. I mean, the last two drafts, they've had a lot of draft picks, a lot of higher draft picks, and they've, I think, just dedicated. They're, they've dedicated themselves to shoring that part, up, shoring that part up. I remember, you know, back in the day when when Tom Cable was the offensive line coach, those were the days of converting defensive linemen to offensive linemen, and hey, we're gonna, hey, this guy's a tight end, but we're gonna turn him into a, a tackle, and you know, all these kind of weird things. Um, all due respect to Tom, but um, there, I, it seems as though there was a time. When maybe John Schneider was trying to money ball the, the offensive line a little bit and say, Hey, we're going to get really smart and figure out a way to make this a, a value position. And I think that maybe they've just decided, no, it can't be. We just, we have to dedicate draft resources and just get, you know, just these monsters in that can, that can move the ball and protect the right way. Um And I mean, it's, it, it's crazy how even for the, um, the health of our offensive line, this this bye week is kind of coming to the perfect moment. You know, I, I love the idea of uh of Charles Cross just having his big foot up, you know, relaxing on the couch and letting that big toe, you know, heal away. Can, can you imagine I mean Charles Cross, what, 300 something pounds, six, seven. Can you imagine how much force his toe has to withstand just walking to the fridge or just walking downstairs or something? I mean, it's so the idea that, hey, let's just let that thing heal now for this next week. I'm, you know, I'm very happy. And actually, I would like to say, Charles, if um, if you need anything this week during the buy, let us know. We'd be happy to come over. We could send a masseuse if that would be helpful I don't know if that's how you handle these kind of injuries, but we just and in fact, my, if you want miles, he'll come up and he can give you a foot rub if that's what if that's what's necessary. That's what we're willing to do.
1: I don't know if my foot rub would be kind of anywhere near the quality of of your foot rub that I you would what, deliver.
0: What I'm most concerned about is that it, that might be the wrong thing to do for the injury, and so um, you know what about cert- the other foot.
1: We're not been, thinking about the other foot very much at, at this time.
0: Yeah. and If you think about all of the um, treatment that's probably happening on his injured foot, that other foot, it, it's kind of like one of those deals. If you, I don't know, if you just work out one arm or something like that, you're going to be a little lopsided. So yeah, to your point, maybe it would be helpful. And again, um, Charles, if you happen to be listening to the podcast, if you if you need someone to rub your feet or foot. Actually, let's be really clear. We're not going to touch your injured foot. It's not worth it. We're not medical professionals. Um, but if you need a friend, um and someone just to be there with you, you know, Miles is on I mean, he's on his way and we can we can release his phone number to the to the podcast if if needed if need be.
1: I can also play hopscotch out front. That might strengthen, you know, the healthy foot and might not be getting a lot of action the last few weeks. I think some hopscotch or maybe some double
0: dutch. Hmm. jump roping
1: I think that's how these things are rehabbed. I'm I no wonder doctor. What,
0: <laughs> I wonder what um when's the last time Charles Cross, you know, played double dutch. It's probably I'm I'm assuming it's been a little while.
1: You got to have some good speed on that rope. Yeah. You know, if you're holding the rope, I would get some practice reps in on the rope cuz you got to get it all the way over.
0: You know, what's crazy, though, is he probably is like really good at it. I bet I like what's really funny about this conversation <laughs> is you could almost see like the the rope going and then him just getting in there and just bouncing around like a dancing bear and, and looking unbelievably nimble. I, he's probably I mean, yeah, I don't even think that's a, a reach. He probably is super like agile and stuff like that.
1: What, yeah, because footwork is so important to O-line. The big be great if that was just the new trend in the NFL in the next few years. Just like these machines that
0: swing the rope and the whole O-line. Just gets in there and just has a good the footwork down. together. It'd be, it'd be good team building. Um, okay, so before we get to our Pete Nuggets, Miles, as you know, one of my obsessions uh, as a football fan is snap counts. Um, and it, it's no surprise to the audience. I think it's going to happen every single week because – I think it's really important. And the reason why I specifically look at defensive line, and I think those guys take such a beating. If we can develop, if any team can develop a young, strong defensive line with a good rotation, everything's better. You know, you go back to the days of Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, um, that whole team, the reason why they were great is because Mike Bennett and Cliff Averill, like when we were at our prime, they were playing like 60% of the snaps. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about. We weren't asking those guys to constantly be on the field. We had a really strong rotation of players behind them. And so admittedly, ever since the draft, I've been thinking and looking at Cam Young, thinking, man, can he be a major cog in this defensive line? And, And what I'm not saying is, Can he be a star? And what I'm not saying is, can Cam Young, you know, just churn heads and be unbelievable? What I'm proposing is, and what I think is very important, is that we have um, a defensive line that can take reps away from the older players, that there's good, competent play so that a Jaron Reed, right, can sit so he can rest while someone else comes in. So when Jared went down with injury during this game, I was really intrigued because you know, to me, I see it as an opportunity. Um, is this an opportunity to let a young guy get a lot of playing time and and hopefully just you know gain experience that, in a very Pete Carroll esque way, will pay dividends at the end of the year, right? So Pete, since his days in college, he's never been afraid of playing younger guys, freshmen, whatever you want to say, um, and. That always means that potentially the Seahawks have a little bit of a slow start because you're playing guys that might get out of position and stuff like that. But by the end of the year, your snap counts are so much higher with these young guys that, um, you know, that that you're you have just developed them faster than other people can because reps in life in anything you're doing is so important. So here's a couple of numbers I want to throw out to you that I think are really important and then two that I just think are kind of interesting. Number one, uh, Cam Young, twenty-eight percent of the snaps, um, and I could absolutely feel and, and see the impact. I, I was telling you before we recorded, there was one specific play where um, uh, the running back came through, and you know, Cam just that massive arm, his left arm, you know, reached out and and pulled the dude down before he could get past the line of scrimmage. Um, I was really excited to see that. Um, I think he made an impact. And at the very least, he played 28% of the snaps, which means someone else didn't have to, which I think, again, is really important. Another call out, Derek Hall, 36% of the snaps. You know, that that's our second round pick. Um, Maybe the most inspiring story I've ever heard in my entire life. Derek Hall, a preemie. Um, he was born... With, when his mom was in the hospital, they basically said, like, this kid, is he's not going to survive. I mean, he was he was incredibly premature um, and like to think about how inspiring his story is to think about. You know, what an absolute Adonis of a human being he is today. Um, it's a side note, has nothing to do with the snap count. But Derek Hall has a, an unreal and an incredibly inspiring story. Um, 36% of the snaps for a young player making an impact. And then Boye Mafé, 51%. To see Boye Mafé... Um, improve from last year to this year has been unbelievable he's having a legit impact on games he's in the right place at the right time um, and you know that was kind of the, the story with Boye last year he was doing okay but you could tell he was confused and out of sorts sometimes to me Boye Maffe is playing with incredible confidence um, to see him and Derek Hall taking the reins You know, two very, very young defensive ends for this team, I think is is really, really cool. Um, I'll say one more thing and then and then tell me what you think. But the last thing that is just kind of interesting, there was only two players that played 100 percent of the defensive snaps, and that was uh, Spoon and Love. And I I think that's just of all of the guys. Bobby Wagner didn't play 100 percent of the snaps. Jordan Brooks did not. Quandre Diggs did not. It was a rookie in Witherspoon um, and, and love, you know, the safety. And so it's kind of an interesting, they're the only two that got 100%. Um,
1: that goes right into my Pete Nugget of the Week, uh, brought to you by McDonald's McNuggets. Uh, again, we're paying for this ad read, uh, just like the one earlier. Uh, but at Pete's Friday press conference, he he did talk about this, that he does look to play rookies earlier in the year, so that he could depend on them towards towards the end of the season. And to me, that felt like a very, uh, even before this game happened, which, as as I mentioned, felt like uh, one culture winning over another, that struck me as like a very tangible way. You know, we talk about Pete's positivity, pumping up guys. What does it actually mean on the football field? Here's, here's something, here's a way that that actually means something. And it even got started in the Detroit game. Witherspoon's first game comes out. Plays, you know, essentially the whole game as well, and then now game number three for him, game number four overall. He's feeling like you know one of the very best defensive players, and yeah, I thought, and and I was I like that he said that because there were so many years there there was a dip in the middle of, of the Carroll run here where the draft was not working out year after year. So for him to emerge and not not get cynical, not get jaded after so many uh you know of the their first and second round picks didn't work out and and to still believe in that process felt felt right to me cuz Cause, cause there's situations where I could I could see that that sitting rookies is actually the the right call but it also felt like the right call here saying hey we want to get those guys in early and and maybe that goes back to a lot of these reserve offensive linemen that are getting in the game that, Hey, they're, they're feeling supported. This is something Pete is looking to do. Get me into this game. You know, he's not, he's not just keeping me on the roster because there's got to be so many guys on the roster. You know, he's looking for opportunities to put you into the game.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I'm I'm looking right now at the snap counts in general and, and how well balanced out it is and how many guys are getting into the game, making a, a legit impact and as you said that, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, this is one of the youngest rosters in the league. We know that we know that the last two drafts have been almost historically good. I mean, really, really good drafts. And then you look at the young guys that were playing and I'll, I'll just, you know, a, a couple of them that got legit snap counts that are all first or second year players. You know, I already mentioned Derek Hall, Cam Young, Boye Mafé. Um, But, you know, you you go down the line. Um, you know, I guess Jordan Brooks is, is a little older, but still he's only been in the league, what, three or four years. Um, you, you Zach Charbonnet, uh, let me look through this. Olu Oluwatimi got in there for 69%. And yeah, I, I just absolutely, um, nailed it, that name, which not a lot of broadcasters can do. And I do consider myself a broadcaster, um, in the same level of Mike Tirico and Joe Buck, um, and the great Al Michaels, um, Anthony Bradford, who I mentioned before, 91% of the snaps. Um, th- these are all really Stone uh, Scythe, you know, getting in there. Jake Curran as well, getting in there as backups. Um, obviously, you know, JSN, 53% of the snaps. Kobe Parkinson, 58. These are all, uh, Kenneth Walker for that matter, for goodness sake, 71% of the snaps. These are all very, very young players. Um, you know, we're not talking about any guys in their 30s. These are all first and second year players that are getting, I mean, a ton of play out there. And yeah, to your point, it's, it's going to reap um, fruit in, into the future, you know? And uh, we see that every single year with Pete's teams. Um, And last year, I believe they led the league or closely in the league in, um, in rookies getting snaps um, at the end of the year, kind of the, 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 the total uh, snap counts. And I haven't looked at the numbers uh cumulatively for the year but I'm assuming they're on the same pace right now that we have to be amongst the league leaders in in rookies getting, you know, getting legit play.
1: We'll get our stat crew on that really quick. Yeah. I just flash forward to like a few you know with with the Super Bowl nucleus, there was a period of time where they looked a lot like this crew. You know, you had a, a lot of those guys were very young the year they won the Super Bowl. And then I flash forward to like a few years after that, where it's like they'd almost grown up too much and kind of fought back against Pete a little bit. But mm-hmm. I th- that's a problem for uh, 2028. 20, and uh, I think we're all good.
0: Yep. <laughs> that's that's a problem for five years down the road. Um, so my my Pete nugget, and and this is not from the press conference, It's it was just a feeling and a vibe on the sideline that I know everyone noticed um, if you were watching the game last night. And that was the moment that Pete walked up to Drew Locke. And it is such a hard thing to even describe the excitement on Pete's face and the way he just kind of, you know, walked up to Drew, gave him a pat on the on the chest plate. And you could just see the excitement and the vibe of, dude, it's your turn. Like you get a play and I'm excited that you get a play. Again, going back to this whole leadership thing, which I think is going to be a vibe of this podcast, because I, I think we're both intrigued by Pete and the way that he leads and and his style of leadership. Um, but just it, to contrast that with your point earlier, right, the negativity that was um, all throughout um, that stadium and that was on the other side of the sidelines. And I'm throwing my surface tablet at my quarterback and I'm frustrated at all these things to see Pete be the antithesis of that and to be excited for a guy. This is your chance. You get to go in now, man. Like, and like, we're excited you get to go in because we believe in you. Um He is a unique cat, man. I mean, Pete Carroll is a different kind of dude. And to me, it it, it made me pause in the middle of watching that game. It was so obvious how excited Pete was for him. And yeah, I mean, these are the things that... um I don't know. These are the things that's hard to quantify as a coach, right? I mean, this isn't the X's and O's. This isn't, Hey, the decisions you're making on fourth down. This is the stuff that you can't really quantify, but uh, it makes a massive difference because these aren't, this isn't fantasy football. These aren't robots. These aren't, you know, these are real people with real emotions and uh, to be able to be loving and supportive and encouraging in that moment. Um, you know, it's encouraging to me. I, I think it's a really, it was a really cool thing to see and it was really obvious. And then I think maybe to to put a little bit of a football spin on that, it it truly is an always compete, next man up kind of uh, perspective. Hey, we believe in you and we believe in the guy behind Bobby and we believe in the guy behind Jaron, and we believe in the guy behind, you know, K9 and all this, all this kind of thing. We believe in Jake Bobo too, you know, and like just the idea that you're going to keep, Encouraging people to be their best. And now it's your opportunity, which frankly, it kind of reminds me of Richard Sherman. I mean, Richard did not start the season as the starting cornerback that year. There was an injury to a veteran and it was next man up. And suddenly Richard Sherman appeared, you know, as, as one of the greats. And I have to believe Um, we'll have to get Richard on the podcast soon so we can talk through this, but I have to believe that there was some encouragement and some belief that was put into him before, you know, his first start. So that's, that's my Pete nugget.
1: Absolutely. And it's a fun, it was an unbelievable moment. I absolutely loved it. And we have, it's important to remember the game was only seven to three at that point. Geno Smith took a nasty, that was a nasty kind of roll up with the Isaiah Simmons tackle on the side. I was thinking, hey, Adams is out for who knows how long. And now Gino is too. And this game is is anybody's ball game right now, you know, seven to three. So 24 to 3 game. Gino comes back in, plays the whole second half. It doesn't feel like that big of a deal. But that was a that was a huge moment right there. And it, it gave me a lot of confidence. Like, all right, Pete yeah, Pete is totally jacked up for for Drew Locke getting in here, and you felt you really felt that Pete had gone on the journey with him. You know, Locke has been in the building now for probably like 18 months. And yeah, you, you got the feeling that Pete really... That's a long time to not play a single snap in a game. But you got the feeling that Pete really appreciated all the work he had done in those 18 months. And yeah, was genuinely excited for him to get in there. I don't know if you saw... I don't know if this was a new video, but there's a video this week of Matt Castle, the old quarterback, talking about how... And this is a, a middle of a win. He's playing with the Kansas City Chiefs like 10 years ago. And Todd Haley is like fighting him in the middle of this game. It keeps on like pulling him out and saying, Matt Castle, you're like you benched. And then Matt Castle would walk back out there to start the next drive. Like it could get ugly out there. So the fact that it was that beautiful was a great moment. And then I thought a key to more of a strategic thing to kind of uh, supplement this, this sense of belief. They called... Uh, passes on Locke's first six plays, and I thought that was huge because it was seven to three. There was only like three minutes left in the half. You could see them just running the ball and just saying, "Okay, you know, get into the locker room. We'll see how Gino's doing at that point. If if Locke has to come back out." But I thought saying, "Hey, we're going to let you pass it and and pass it pretty deep um, on a lot of those balls," uh, really showed that. Yeah, that that belief was real. We're, we're going to let you get out there and rip right away.
0: Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, and again, going back to just the confidence. Um, so to me, and this is one of my my, my last, uh, I guess, I don't know, observations or, or whatever. Um, this game was very counterintuitive from a time of possession perspective. Um, it really flips it on its head. So the time of possession of this game, uh, the New York Giants held the ball for 36 minutes. The Seahawks held it for 24 and you usually don't win games when you lose the possession like that and what's even weirder about that is the Seahawks also outran the New York Giants and obviously our running backs you know were playing much better than their running backs so if i was to tell you that the Seahawks will have a solid running game they will lose the time of possession by a lot right and not only that but they're going to blow out. It's going to be a blowout victory. And the other team isn't even going to score a touchdown. They're only going to score one time from a a very large, long field goal. That's the most, it's one of the weirdest things. This was a weird game in a lot of ways. I mean, we talked about a lot of flags, a lot of chippiness. Um, It did have kind of a helter, helter, skelter start, stop kind of vibe to it throughout. Um, but the fact that we lost the time of possession, I did not expect to see that this morning when I did some research. I was, you know, looking through these numbers and to see that it was skewed to the Giants was very strange to me.
1: I wonder if you feel like this. It almost felt like each offense had the ball for like 20 minutes and there was just 20 minutes of like quagmire or like nothingness. Like it was, it was hard. to. It was almost a game where like nothing was happening. And that's how you get with, they just, the, the Seahawks just had to hang in there. And that, that's how you win some games and even win some games big. You just have to hang in there through the ugliness. I mean, it was, it was ugly at a lot of points.
0: Yeah, you have to keep going. I, I'll say the, the last thing, which I, again, this is just a dumb, there's no reason to mention this, but it was an it's an even number. It's 24 minutes. Exactly. The Seahawks had the ball 36 minutes. Exactly. The Giants had the ball. Like, how weird is that? I mean, I, I don't even know. It's bad radio. I shouldn't even bring it up. But I mean, like, what? What? I don't think I've ever seen, like, even numbers before like that. That is weird.
1: And, you know, it, it even felt like longer than that. Maybe it was because, like, the Seahawks had all these quick drives. It felt like maybe the Giants had the ball over, like, a lot of commercial breaks. It just felt like the Giants were... <laughs>
0: It's very strange, man. I feel like
1: the Giants were trapped out on the field. It felt like they were all trapped there and it was some sort of punishment for them to be there. And they
0: When do I get to go home? Yeah, or just
1: get off stage, basically. Uh,
0: we've gone through this whole podcast without really even talking that much about how insane Witherspoon's game was, which maybe maybe that should be the vibe of our podcast, because we have so many other uh, observations. You know, maybe we don't have to belabor the point that this kid just had such a coming out party.
1: Well, the new dimension this week was sending him on blitzes, yeah, uh, I don't remember that happening in either of the first two games. Uh, that was a nice that was a nice wrinkle that that felt exciting.
0: um yeah, no, it it absolutely was. Um, and hey, are you proud of me? I haven't played any dramatic music throughout the podcast so far. I've made it this far without it. We know you love. yeah, I'm very proud.
1: I'm Thank very you
0: proud. <laughs> Just think thanks for just answering the question. That was great. Um, do you have some trivia for us?
1: I got a trivia question for you, and I'll I'll let you know. This is a, a I, it's not really a question as much as it's, it's a hidden point that I'd like to make about career arcs. What we're talking about, Pete Carroll and the Drew Locke relationship. This is about Pete Carroll and the Geno Smith relationship. So, Geno Smith, he's drafted with the thirty ninth overall pick by the New York Jets in twenty thirteen. He goes eight and eight his first year. That's pretty darn good. Second round pick comes in starter, eight and eight. Next year he goes three and ten. That's in twenty fourteen. He doesn't get a chance again until last year to kind of make up for it. It's a bad year. Eight and eight, then three and ten. Here's my question. Can you name one player
0: who he was throwing the ball to? Who okay, two thousand fourteen. I'll
1: give you a, I'll give you a hint. It's it's impossible. But that's kind of the point.
0: Um, yeah, I, so I, I won't belabor it because I, I don't think I'll come up with any. I'm I'm not a New York Jets fan.
1: Maybe I'll give you a real trivia question next time. Sorry,
0: this maybe this is more of a rhetorical question. I apologize. Uh, but, but do you have Do you happen to have the names handy? Or I got do, the names handy. Would you give us some of these um, Titans of uh, these these Hall of Famers he was thrown to the
1: legends of the Meadowlands. <laughs> Well, we got uh, uh, two two names you'd really recognize. Unfortunately, late in their careers, Santonio Holmes and Percy Harvin. Okay. Uh, we also we got Jeremy Cur- uh, and Chris Johnson late in his career. We got Jeremy Curley in there. Chris Ivory, Bilal Powell. We got one guy across those two years who had over six hundred yards. Eric Decker, the okay. one guy who who, who hit more than so, so. That's a, that's a pretty good receiver. Uh so, I'm, um, but. The, I was just, it's a, we look at Geno Smith's career arc and it feels very bizarre and inspiring just how long he was a backup, but the more I sit with it, the more I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often because look, this guy's 23, 24 years old. He's not throwing to, you know, and, and to just get, get that opportunity or, you know, it's like, Yeah. How how was he supposed to succeed when you look at it? You know, so many years, his reputation was like, oh, yeah, Geno Smith's a bust. We, you know, which team is he playing back up for now? It's like, well, OK, yeah, he had, he had this really bad year. It went three and ten. But like what was supposed to happen? And um, it made me Daniel Jones, obviously, a very different story since he was drafted so high and he signed this big extension. But. I kind of think that you should never pay that much for a quarterback, whether it's draft assets or or a big trade or something like that, because I think there's a lot of these guys circulating around the league, names we might chuckle at when they come up, who when you look back at it, it would be kind of a Geno-like story that they never really got a great opportunity to succeed. Actually, Hmm. here's, here's... so. The running. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. So, no, I just as you said that it made me think about um, uh, this game and it made me think about Daniel Jones. And so I'm looking at the New York receivers and it, it plays into what you're saying. It, Daniel Jones doesn't have some stable. I mean, Darren Waller is definitely his best receiver, I believe, as a tight end. Um, but if you look at everyone else, I mean. I don't know how many people have Wondell Robinson or Isaiah Hodgkins on their fantasy team, Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton. I mean, these are not like, you know, it's not as though he has Amon Ra St. Brown, who's, you know, making the sun rise in the east every morning and making it set in the in the west. I mean, he so to your point, I mean, if you think about who you have and the weapons you have, compare that to Gino this year, I mean. Gino we were talking about we still haven't seen it completely you know happen yet but you know Gino has three unbelievable wide receivers and we know he at least has two and I think everyone expects that JSN is going to continue to get better and um and and I don't even think it's actually a JSN issue I think it's a getting his spot in the offense figured out he has Three amazing tight ends. So to your point, I mean, if you don't have the weapons, if Gino doesn't have the weapons in 2014, you know, how big of a difference does that make? And, and you know, we're not even thinking about offensive line, right? I mean, and, and the other pieces. So, yeah, you're going to build a house on a bad, on, a, on a bad foundation and be shocked when, you know, it crumbles.
1: Yeah, I I I Trey Lance could obviously be one of these guys. Definitely, you know, never really just had had time, you know, unfor- yeah. unfortunately for him. But I, I I did wonder if Drew Locke is another one of those guys. And when he, when he was starting with the Broncos, you would say, ah, oh, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, those are major receivers, you know, and they're young as well. But as time has gone on, you know, it hasn't really, you know, uh, you could you could do you could see something very similar happening with Drew Locke. Five years in the future. Like, ah, oh, who are the guys he threw to with the Broncos? Like, okay, Cortland Sullivan had a thousand yard season with Drew Locke. It hasn't happened since. Maybe it will happen again in the future. I don't know. But I I I really do. So what I was what I was gonna say was the reason that running back has gone down in value, like in contracts in the NFL, is we've kind of realized that the offensive line is really helping that production a lot, almost more so than the running backs themselves. And I've just kind of wondered. And, and the really great running backs can transcend that. And I I wonder if it's a little more like that than we think with quarterback wide receiver. The really great quarterbacks can transcend any wide receiver group, but I kind of wonder if having a great pass catching group and specifically, I think having depth, wide receiver, tight end, and running back, if, if that's really what creates a, a great quarterback more than we think now. Because quarterbacks are paid so much more the draft the the draft the draft night trades to get quarterbacks are so expensive uh, but i wonder if it's a little bit more about a, a group of of pass catchers a little more than the quarterback
0: i mean yeah somewhat i mean you, you see it i think actually you brought up Trey Lance the 49ers are a good example you know Brock Purdy good quarterback but you see Debo and and IU, you know, the, the yards after the catch is kind of legendary. Um, you know, if if I'm throwing a screen pass to Christian McCaffrey, that's helpful. I mean, that's going to really make my quarterback stats look much better than with all due respect, if I'm throwing a screen pass to Najee Harris. Right. I mean, just two completely different athletes and and what they're able to do. Um, so, yeah, to your point, you um, and especially in the NFL, I mean, yards after the catch is so incredibly important. And it's such a big part of the game and, and a big part of play design. If you have dudes that can get you yards after the catch, that's a big deal. I mean, a, a good example, there was an out pass. I believe it was Drew Locke threw it to uh, to DK on, um, on the left side of the flat and he threw it towards the boundary. DK made the catch for whatever reason. The defender was playing him really soft. And DK, you you know, caught the ball and then ran and ran for, you know, another seven or eight yards before he was tackled. And, you know, a a lesser athlete, you know, maybe that's three yards, maybe that's four yards before someone, you know, catches up to him. But because it's DK Metcalf, I guess I know why they're playing him soft because it's DK Metcalf and because you don't want to get destroyed and burned. You're you're going to give him a little extra space, Um, even I mean, looking at at what the Dolphins have done this year. You look at Tyreek Hill and, and Waddle, but specifically Hill. I mean, Hill's life is about yards after the catch. I mean, that's just where he lives. I mean, they, they come up with some great play design. Um, no, no, I, I think there's a lot to be said for it. It's a team sport. It's the ultimate team sport.
1: Yeah. And not, not to take away from any quarterbacks. Cause it's like, I, I don't, I really don't think that anybody, just anybody could step in and do what Brock Purdy is doing. I mean, they're, you you have to actually be there in the moment. You have to lead the team. You have to lead the team throughout the week. It's it's a big responsibility to be quarterback, but I really question the wisdom of paying multiple first round picks or or getting to the place where it's it's a forty or fifty million dollar cap hit for a quarterback because I kinda wonder if there's more benefit to having the the a more balanced situation like the Seahawks have now. And uh, investing in a backup like the Seahawks have done. I think backup quarterback is really important.
0: It was a nice feeling when Drew came in, knowing, okay, this isn't falling apart completely. And um, you know, knowing that they have confidence in him. Um, it's a it's a massive deal. Um, I believe you have a soapbox that you wanna ascend.
1: Okay. So I don't know if people are joking about this on the internet. <laughs> and sorry, this is gonna be non-Seahawks, but this uh so people are posting on the internet, and they might be, uh, you know, I might be the target audience here. They might have gotten, they, I might be getting punked right now.
0: He's just pointing had. out.
1: <laughs> what?
0: You've been had.
1: I know. <laughs> I might be getting punked, but I've, I've seen a few stats out there showing that Bill Belichick is below 500 without Tom Brady in his career, implying he's just an average coach. He lucked into the best player of all time, and uh, he's a jabroni right now. And, uh, look, the Patriots aren't that good this year, but let's not, okay. Bill Belichick is the best coach of all time. There's just no, there's no other way about it. So here's, here's the problem with it being sub 500 is, so that includes Bill Belichick's five years with the Cleveland Browns. So he takes over this team that was three and 13 the year before he got there and he improves the team, improves the team. They get to the playoffs in 1994 in the middle of 1995 it's announced they're going to move to Baltimore and the season just like completely falls apart. So his total his total record in Cleveland is 30 and 34. So it doesn't look very good, but it's like it's it's like if like what Dan Campbell is doing right now in Detroit. So Dan Campbell's record right now is 15 and 22. Let's imagine they make the playoffs this year as we would imagine and then next year they move the team. It's like, yeah, Dan Campbell's record isn't going to look very good overall. It's going to be like sub five hundred or close to it. But we would say he's a good coach. Or same with with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was fifty two and forty six entering this year as the Niners' coach, and he's created almost a, a you know one of the biggest contenders in the league. Here is the other thing: Tom Brady was a, a starter for eighteen years for the Patriots. How many years were the was the Patriots' defense? Top 10 in points allowed out of those 18 years. Here's the primary starter. The The answer is 15 times. So 15 times out of 18. And, and we would, like the analytics community has pointed out, the defense tends to regress like year after year. Like a, a great defense doesn't stay stable year over year as much as a great offense does. So the fact that the defense was top 10 in points allowed, you know, the least amount of points, uh, 15 times in 18 years. I'm sorry, Tom Brady didn't have anything to do with that. Here's here's the big point, though, is that I I feel like there's an idea now in in sports that you want to pick apart everybody like pick apart the credit for a great dynasty. And here's the th- any amazing dynasty, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, you're gonna you have all these factors coming together, and you can't have a great dynasty without Multiple people deserving all the credit and a lot of luck happening your way. So I know the, that the Belichick Patriots are bad this year, but I, I think we're, we're just going to forget about it so quickly. So anyway, I just, maybe I was punked, but um,
0: yeah. What do you think? <laughs> Today's rant is brought to you by <laughs> Jabronies, Jabronis of the Meadowlands. Do you need a good jabroni? We have one for you. Um, no, I, I mean, obviously, I, I completely agree with you. It's our culture wanting to make simple the complex, right? And 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 frankly, is our culture not accepting that things can be complex and the answers can be hard? Um, that's the way I look at it. I mean, you know, the the credit pie. Um, Let's do the credit pie of Steven Spielberg movies. How how good of a director is Steven Spielberg versus how good of a composer is uh, is John Williams? Right. I mean, it's like it's a dumb exercise. Like, OK, great. Well, you know, that t- that that wouldn't be a very good movie if it wasn't for John Williams music or like vice versa. It's like, come on, it's that's a dumb thing to say. Like they both are they will go down as as one of the greatest duos of quarterback and and head coach in, in in you know football history as it should be and um yeah i i agree with you it's it's a it's a cultural thing that we are obsessed with um but you know i think we see that in a lot of different places in our culture right now where we have a very hard time with complex conversations and and maybe it's our brains becoming tocked and smaller um this uh, podcast is not brought to you by TikTok. Um, we have no affiliation with, with the app, um, just to be clear.
1: Well, I'll save my opinions about Bill Belichick as a film composer next week. Because if, if you thought I got on a soapbox then, the, the way this man can score a movie is truly unbelievable.
0: Next week, we'll look at Bill Belichick. Not just the coach, but the composer. It had happened. I had to get the dramatic music in. I'm looking at the button the whole time and I can't wait. In fact, I'll probably just skip to that part of the podcast because I just want to hear, um, I want to hear that. Do you want to say something with the dramatic music? Do you have anything dramatic to say?
1: Uh, that was a Belichick song you played and I think you could feel the weight of it
0: uh, underneath. It really elevated the podcast to the next level. you really could. Um, so next week they got a really tough opponent. Um, I, I don't know how you beat this opponent, Miles. I do not know how the Seahawks get a win next week. I've I've looked at this every which way. I I don't see how they are victorious next Sunday.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that was, the, that was a complete analysis. There's nothing more to say.
0: Yeah. The bye week is undefeated. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, they're pretty banged up. So, you know, I think we were all hoping that we'd get a later bye week as usual, um, or as usual, you hope that. But this might be one of those years between Jaron Reed and Charles Cross and uh, Jamal Adams, obviously, and Geno Smith. Uh, that offensive line in general, you could make an argument they might have had a hard time fielding a team next week if they needed to play. So it, it could actually turn out that this early bye week is, is a, a blessing in disguise.
1: Yeah, and look out for, you know, double Dutch or hopscotch, you know, uh, rehab happening
0: in, at you know, in parks across Renton and Bellevue and, and the whole east side. Yeah, um, we will be working on getting more sponsors for the podcast. Um, that's kind of what we'll be doing over the bye week. I have a feeling that we might have some bonus um, episodes. I, I don't know, and and I don't want anyone to take this as um, as a promise, but we we might have some bonus stuff up our sleeves because for goodness sake, we really like each other and it's it's hard to go a week without doing this. And I, I think we're both going to be kind of get in for a little podcast.
1: We also had uh, the aforementioned haters giving us a lot of bulletin board material about number yep. five, so we are chomping at the bit to get
0: number five. But, but to be clear, it would not be episode five; it would be a bonus episode. Um, episode five oh. will be uh, versus the Bengals. I don't know if that's if we're there. <clears throat> that's that's in is that in Cincy?
1: You know, the haters were saying five episodes across any type of numerical system. Oh.
0: Okay, that, so the, yeah, the haters, yeah, they, they, were, had, bit,
1: and they were specific.
0: They, they they look at it differently, um, but potentially next week, join Miles and I as we discuss the Legion of Boom,
1: season of boom,
0: the season. Of <laughs> <I> really, <laughs> That's what they called it. <laughs> so the problem with the dramatic music is, if you screw up like that it's gonna now I just look like a fool no no, no no join us as we look at the season of boom perhaps the greatest team in the history of the universe brought to you by Toyota going places my uh, my mouse just ran out of battery so when i tried to stop the dramatic music it would not i just nothing nothing was i happening. think
1: you could just play it for another five or six minutes a slow fade out and and we're good to go here
0: yeah so hey um great episode my friend and do you want should i hit the outro music i don't know if it's if it's a thing or not um but i'm i'm kind of drunk with um with sound effects so um until next time it's been a pleasure